Good morning. Acts chapter 18, please. We uh, will not be having a Father's Day message per se, unless Aquila and Priscilla had children, in which case Aquila is a father, but we're going to be talking about both of them, so it would be a Father's and uh, Mother's Day message combined. Aquila and Priscilla. It's kind of of a nice ring to it, doesn't it? It even rhymes. Uh, We don't always have a title for our message, but this morning we're going to have one. It's uh, two or better than one. Aquila and Priscilla, they're the most uh, prominent husband and wife pair in the New Testament. Second most prominent, really... uh, we don't like to think about it. That's Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to God about the land that they sold. But uh, Aquila and Priscilla occur in uh, no less than four passages in the New Testament. And uh, it's interesting, they're never mentioned individually. That's significant. Look, every word of God is inspired. you believe that? Amen. And it's not an accident that in this case, for some reason... He always talks about the two of them whenever he mentions one. I think that's cool. And I think he's trying to teach us something here. Uh, the interesting thing is you'll find that as we read the passages, their names are mentioned six times. Three times, Aquila has top billing. Three times, Priscilla has top billing. So that they're both uh, interchangeable as far as, you know, who's listed first. And really, they're great examples of co-laboring for Christ. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And that's what we mean, two are better than one. Now, let me hasten to add, having just finished the study of 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul said, I wish that you could all be like I am, that is, single, and that you could serve the Lord without distraction. We are not saying, therefore, it's not good to be single. It's good to be married. It's good to be single. There are advantages to both. Isn't that great? So if you're not married, you don't have to go running around, you know, freaking out. Oh, no, where's my wife? Where's my husband? No. Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 7, you have a lot to be thankful for. Similarly, he says, if you get married, you've done a good thing. He who finds a a wife finds a good thing. So we're not saying here this morning that... uh, you know, you, you can't be effective as a single person. But the passage we have before us is about a married couple. And in particular, co-laborers. So that's my second um, uh, footnote this morning. And that is, uh, we're not just going to talk about husbands and wives, but co-laboring in general. Certainly with a wife or a husband, or a brother with another brother, or a sister with another sister. The principles are all the same. So, let, let me say, uh, I often say up here, you know, this is my, one of my favorite passages. This is one of my favorite subjects. Um, there is a joy and satisfaction in co-laboring with another brother or sister or wife or husband in serving Christ together that cannot be had any other way. And 
some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have had a taste of it. I think some of you may not really know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, you know, going out on a door-to-door thing together. I mean over years or decades, as is the case here. Uh, it's like being married. In the case of husband and wife, it is like being married. But uh, there's something about being in the crucible together and seeing Jesus work. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about because certainly Priscilla and Aquila saw that together. So we're going to read the four passages uh, at the very outset here. The longest section is in Acts 18 here. And uh, I want you to keep your finger here after we read the other three, which are all at the end of uh, some of Paul's epistles. And uh, I'm going to give you the dates on these because it's going to become significant later. Uh, this first uh, passage here is uh, toward the end of Paul's second missionary journey. So it's in about 51 A.D. And we'll start in verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Then down to verse 11, talking about Paul. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So he's staying in the city of Corinth for a year and a half staying with Aquila and Priscilla in their home while he teaches and preaches there. And then in verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sancria for he had taken a vow and he came to Ephesus. And left them there. That's Priscilla and Aquila. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. So, where are Priscilla and Aquila at this point? They're up in Ephesus. That's right. Paul's heading back uh, home. After he had spent some time there, verse 23, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Now back to A and P, Aquila and Priscilla. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, 
showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now, I know we heard about uh, Apollos last time, but uh, this is also about Aquila and Priscilla. Okay, then the three other references are at the end of epistles. We're going to take them in chronological order. So, we start in 51 AD about, and then a year and a half at least has passed since they first met. That is Paul and Aquila and Priscilla during the time that he stayed with them at Corinth. And then they went to Ephesus, right? Okay, now let's look at 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Just to get the context now. This is 57, 80. This is six years later after they had met Paul or probably about four years after the, the last verse we just read. You got it? Okay, about four years later. This letter is written from Ephesus. Paul, after he had reported what had happened, went back up and went to Ephesus where Aquila and Priscilla were. Okay? And ministered at the church there for a while. And then while there, he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. And in verse 19, he says this. Um, sorry, 1 Corinthians, i got to find it myself. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. That's cool, huh? So Paul had left them there. Something has happened since he was gone. There's a church meeting in their house now. And for those who may think that's kind of strange, that's that's the way all the churches met in their New Testament. Do you know that? They didn't have chapels. They didn't have church buildings. And I saw uh, Kathy smile back there. That's the way we started. Primarily at their house. We used Scott and Kathy Clark's house and and uh, our house as well. There is something about meeting in a home, you know. And those of you that remember it can uh, testify to that. There's a closeness there, a wonderful, sweet fellowship. So Aquila and Priscilla uh, have inconvenienced themselves by opening up their home for the church to meet in. Uh, the next chronologically is actually a left turn back to Romans because this epistle was written just a year later. Romans 16, something uh, else has happened now during the last year. We don't know the details of it. I'd like to know what it was, but we just get a hint here. Romans 16, 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers, co-laborers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. They're not in Ephesus, they're in Rome now. And there's a church in their house again. You notice a pattern here? (laughs) What's interesting to me is they risk their lives. For Paul's sake, we don't. That's all we know. We don't know the details. But uh, Paul says, "I'm not only grateful, but all the churches of the Gentiles are for what they did." So, likewise, greet the church that is in their house, and so on. 
Okay, uh, and then the final mention is in Paul's last letter. This is nine years later now, 67 AD. Paul is about to be executed. He will be, he will die shortly after writing this letter. Second Timothy chapter four. So this is 16 years after Paul first met this couple. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's always autumn in the morning here, isn't it? You hear the rustling of leaves. 419, do not receive... uh, Pardon me. This is what happens when you rely on computers, you know. 2 Timothy 419, Greek Prissa, that's the diminutive form for Priscilla, and Aquila, and the household... Of Onesiphorus. So here we are 16 years later. And they're still faithfully serving the Lord. This is going to become significant when we come back to it later. Because uh, many of the disciples had abandoned Paul at this point. In fact, if you look at the end of the letter, you find very few there that he can name is still sticking to him uh, to the bitter end. And Aquila and Priscilla were two of those. Okay, so there we have a, a brief overview of uh, everything the Bible has to say about uh, Priscilla and Aquila. So as I said, we're going to focus on co-laboring together. In the case of uh, Priscilla and Aquila, it's a husband and a wife. When they were working with Paul, it's the three of them. And as I said, the principles apply to a brother and a brother, two working together, or a sister and a sister, co-laboring together, or three. So... Uh, and we'll draw our examples uh, from their lives uh, and as well as uh, I have some from my own. First of all, the requirements of being co-laborers. Uh, you got to begin with unity and like-mindedness. Now, those aren't exactly the same. They may sound redundant, but they're not. And um, now it's interesting, all over the epistles, you know, Paul says, be like-minded. Be of the same mind. How do you obey that? How do you be? Think about it. How do you be like-minded? You ever thought about that? I'm going to go out and be like-minded today. What do you do? Think about it. You see, there's something underneath that. Do you know how you're like-minded? By being humble and broken. That's the key. That's, that's, that's the, those are the two character attributes that undergirds this whole bit about unity and like-mindedness and co-laboring together. Unity and like-mindedness really is talking about two people or more. Brokenness and humility is talking about one person, each of them. And it does, it's no good if only one of them is that way, broken and, and humble. It's gotta be both. Or it doesn't work. Right, Howard? Amen. In fact, let me just say that uh, this doesn't just apply to co-laboring. The lack of brokenness and humility excludes someone from co-laboring with anybody. And in fact, excludes them from being fruitful for Christ in general. If I can't lay my ego aside and my pride, then I'm on the shelf for Christ. 
So that's, that's really num- numero uno requirement. Unity and like-mindedness that comes from humility and brokenness. Well, the second requirement, these are obvious now. The first one we think of, like-minded in what? Well, like-minded in doctrine, right? Amos uh, asks um, rhetorically, can two walk together unless they agree? And the answer obviously is no. That's right. And never more so than when we're co-laboring for God. And uh, through my years as a believer, I can tell you, it is so sweet when uh, brothers dwell together in unity. I love Psalm 133. God, God thinks so too. This is the way he puts it. <clears throat> Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now listen to this. This is going to be strictly cultural. I don't even think Noah is going to be able to relate to this. But uh, it's a beautiful picture if you understand what the psalmist is saying here. He says, it is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard. This is when Aaron was anointed as the high priest, you see. And it was such a wonderful moment, not just for Aaron, but for the whole uh, nation of Israel. When finally he was set apart for the service of God. And he was anointed with oil and it ran down over his head and down his beard. It was a sweet memory running down on the edge of his garments. And then he says, it is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Unity, like-mindedness. Well, uh, we know that Priscilla and Aquila had to have been uh, like-minded, if nothing else. When they took Apollos aside and helped him out, we're talking doctrine mainly, aren't we? He says they, they taught him the, the word more accurately. There were some holes in his bucket, as Gene would say, or a hitch in his get-along, as Gene also used to say. And they fixed it. And they couldn't be sitting there, you know, and one of them talking and the other saying, no, that's not right. I don't, no, that's... Wait a minute, i got to correct that. That's not right. You're not going to get very far, are you? If you're not in agreement doctrinally. Let me make something clear now. With with Apollos, uh, since Priscilla was a godly woman, she did not teach or usurp authority over a man. Uh, she was a godly woman, a, a good, strong Christian woman. But nevertheless, she participated in some way in helping Apollos with her husband. She would obviously allow her husband to lead, but how much uh, took place in the conversation, God knows. The bottom line is God blessed it. And Apollos was a better man afterwards. Well, I have a wife of 40 years. And uh, it's great to be like-minded that way. You know, it's a joy to co-labor with her. and has been all of these years. When doctors not an issue, you have a liberty, you know. There's a freedom that you have when you're working with people. And until you've experienced it, you don't know what I'm talking about. But it's nice not to have to worry about that. You know, when you say something and you know the brother or sister with you. Yeah, they're right in there with you. Amen. You know, you can focus on the real issues when you're serving the Lord. 
I tell you, Howard and I went through a lot of doctrine in 20 years, didn't we? Never had we, we never had a single disagreement. Can you imagine that? Or since then. Before then, we fought tooth and nail. That surprises people when I tell them that. But you see, we weren't in the crucible together until we became elders. There's a third party in this, you see. That's the key, and it's Jesus. He's the one that works out that kind of stuff. Okay. Secondly, or thirdly, we need to be like-minded in spiritual goals and priorities. We need to consider the same things important and other things as, as less important. You need to have the same goals and ambitions for Christ. Now, some people really don't have any. If you don't have any, get some. Okay? It's a good thing to be ambitious for Jesus. It's not a bad thing. You know, Paul says, I press on, man, for that which I have been apprehended of Christ. I'm not going to sit on my laurels. I'm not uh, looking back, he says. I'm looking forward, man, until Jesus comes. We can tell from uh, Priscilla and Aquila's life, certainly that church planting was on their heart, don't you think? Wow. You know, their home was uh, a place for a church and therefore shepherding. You can imagine all the saints in there, you know, several times a week and all of the interaction that had to have taken place. Young believers being encouraged, you know, strengthened and so on. So you have to agree about what's important. And uh, for a husband and wife, certainly that's true. You know, uh, you can have just one agreeing that family and home take a second place to service for Christ. If only one feels that way, you can't you can't co-labor with that kind of a priority. You both have to agree on that. Imagine a church in their house. You know, you're thinking, oh, isn't that sweet? That's so romantic. You know, <laughs> is it romantic, Howard and Kathy? I don't remember it being that way. It's a disruption. Okay? There's a, uh, there's a thing psychologists have it's called the nesting instinct, you know, and it's per- supposedly particularly uh, prominent in women, you know. I want to get my home and settle down, you know. I don't want a bunch of intruders coming in two and three times a week, having to clean up beforehand and then clean up afterwards, you know. But for Jesus, I'll do it. Uh, we have to be careful on this one, but I, I wanted, I pointed out to you, they started out in Rome, then they went to Corinth, then they went to Ephesus, then they're back at Rome again. So, it's very important. They, they were flexible together. Okay? I'll promise you, they both agreed on this. Now, uh, so they were willing to move for Jesus. This, these moves were in the will of the Lord. Okay? We're not talking about the situation that uh, I've seen over and over again where someone says, yeah, we're praying about moving to, uh, I'll pick North Dakota, you know. And we're, we're, we're looking for a church. That's, that's the phrase right there that I listen for. When they say we're looking for a church, does that sound with someone being led of God? Uh-uh. God leads you to a church, either planning one or an already existing one to plug in with your spiritual gifts. That's the way he does it. Well, Priscilla and Aquila, they subordinated their desire to have a permanent home for the sake of the church. It was in the will of God, you see. 
And uh, I can certainly relate to this. Um, I remember, uh, I think most of you know what DITP stands for, Discipleship Intern Training Program, you know, that Bill and Jean taught for many, many years. And uh, I can't even remember the year now. I wish Carding were here. Long time ago. What year was it, Howard? 1980. Um, I was... Uh, Drying up for the Lord spiritually. I've been teaching and preaching and visiting and evangelizing and all that. I just felt like I needed something, a little shot in the arm. Counsel with Gene, and he says, well, would you ever think of going through the JITP? That's going for nine months through pretty intensive training under these two godly men. And um, if you got a job, the job goes, you know. Uh, and... At that point in our marriage, I had kind of uh, struggled. When we got married, I had a dead-end job. We couldn't, we could barely pay the rent, let alone, we hadn't had kids yet. And if we had, I don't know if we could have fed them. Uh, and so I had gone back to school, got my degree, and I had a, a nice job with which we could have children, you know. I hadn't been there a year. And I come home and I tell Carlene, sweetheart, I think uh, I need the intern program. And I'll never forget it. Talk about a guy to respond. How would you respond? Your husband came home and said, honey, I'm going to quit work for nine months and go to seminary. You know? She said right away, could you let me pray about it? That was it. Isn't that good? You know? I know the turmoil is going through her mind. You know, look, finally you got a good job, you know? What are you doing? And so I said, you know, okay. Two days later, I was at work, got a call in the morning. I prayed about it, and I have a peace. You need to go through the intern program. Isn't that good? I could not have done that. I would not have done it if she had not agreed on it. But her priorities were the same as mine, you see. And by the way, when I say I went through the program, we went through the program. And then, uh, of course, later, God... Uh, Brought together a team of, of seven guys, some of whom were married. I was. And uh, I'll never forget it. We had one of the brothers over that was going to come out with us uh, to our house. We lived in San Leandro at the time. And uh, this brother was in the mood to challenge me. In particular, he said, So, brother, uh, we're going to be starting to work in San Lorenzo. Why are you living in San Leandro? And if you look on the map, I mean, San Lorenzo's here and San Leandro's there, okay? And, and I, and my first reaction was, uh, I'm right down the road, you know. But God used that guy because, uh, I just, I couldn't get over it. And I told Carlene, and we just found this really cute little Tudor style house in San Leandro. We just moved in. Yeah. And here we are disrupting things again. Bellis is at it again, you know. I said, honey, I, I think the Lord wants us to move. Why? You know, no, she didn't do that. I would have done that. <laughs> and so again, she prayed about it. We both prayed about it. And of course, God gave us the house that we're in now because he hasn't given us a signal to move again yet. Uh, and God used that big room back there for prayer meetings and breaking of bread and, and so on for several years. He's a lot smarter than we are, isn't he? You know? 
But you see, I, I had and still have a like-minded wife. Man, that's precious. Having a wife is precious. Having a like-minded wife is beyond gold. It's interesting about uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, we don't know if they had children or not. I, I would expect they probably did. You know, um, you can't argue from silence. All right. Be careful about that. Just because it doesn't say. And they had two children, you know, named uh, John and Mary or something. It doesn't mean they didn't have kids. You can prove all kind of crazy stuff by arguing from silence. For example, Mary was sinless. Right. She must have been. There's no sin listed. You know how many sinless people you could find in the Bible with that argument? <laughs> I mean, I could not relate to those people. Well, the point is, you see, I, I have found that's often a test of priorities, having kids. You'll see a couple on fire for God, and then that first kid comes, and all of a sudden, it's kind of like they, they retreat. You know, well, we got a kid now, you know. We got other priorities. And they kind of go on the back burner. It's a bump in the road. And it's a bump that's not overcome. Well, it wasn't the case with uh, Priscilla and Aquila if they did uh, have kids. Because no sooner had they uh, dropped the church in uh, Ephesus when they moved to Rome, they had another church in their home in Rome. Computers are based on the binary system. You know that. Zero and one. Right. Just just two numbers. And there are operations you can do in computers There's one that's called the and operation. It's real simple. You got four possible cases when you got two bits that are either zero and one. If you got a zero and a zero, then the uh, and operation produces a zero. If you got a zero and a one, the and operation produces a zero again. If you got a one and a zero, the, the operation produces a zero again. You only get a one when they're both ones. You got that? You understand that? You've already had your first lesson in Boolean algebra. See? Learning can be fun. Well, that's the way it works with husbands and wives. You got a cold husband for, for Christ and a hot, uh, hot when I, what I mean by that is revelation uh, heat, you know, warm for Christ, right? Well, as a couple, they're going to be cold. It's always the lowest common denominator. You got uh, a husband who's on fire for Christ and a wife who's not interested. Forget it. Both cold. Well, if they're both cold, obviously, you know, they're ineffective. They both have to be on fire for Christ if they're going to be effective for him. A one and a one. Well, Priscilla and Aquila were both hissing hot. And we know where their priorities were from this uh, mention in Romans because life itself was not as important as serving Christ. They risked their necks for Paul's sake. Okay, then uh, the uh, third on the list of, fourth on the list of subpoints here, but third on the uh, list of things in common is like-minded in methods and approach to spiritual work. We'd be unable to serve as a team, whether a husband and wife or a brother and a brother or a sister and a sister. We had different approaches, different appraisals. You know, you're working with someone and one says, well, no, I think the problem is this. And somebody else says, well, no, the problem is that. I think we should do this. No, I think we should do that. I think they need to do this. No, they should do that. Won't work. 
You know? It's like an ox and a donkey in yoke together. So I thank God for my wife and the few men that I've co-labored with over decades in service of shepherding, evangelism, teaching, and counseling. Uh, we could go on and on. I could tell you stories. Couldn't we, Howard? A lot of them. But they're classified. I can share one, though, I thought of that uh, is really precious in my memory. Um, it was of my wife in evangelism. She uh, was witnessing to a young married woman who was a Catholic. And uh, she was... She was really struggling with the gospel. She'd been getting it in bits and pieces. And with her Catholic background, she kept hearing, you know, in spite of what you said, you're saved by works. You know, you, know, you, you would say, well, that's obvious. That's not true. Well, not to a Catholic. That's a hard thing for them to get over. And so um, this one day, this, this young woman had asked my wife, would you share the gospel with me, the, the, the whole thing, beginning to end? And the cool thing is, if you've heard me share the gospel, you've heard Carlene share the gospel. You've heard her, you've heard me. I don't mean it's the same every time. In fact, it never is. But the, the, the uh, outline is the same. The, the scriptures are very similar. And that's good. We can really co-labor together uh, nicely that way. And in this case, I wasn't going to be there. And I'd been praying about it. And I told this is so weird. I've done this a couple of times. I, I went up to her before she went to visit this woman. And I said, listen, today when you talk to her, Alter the gospel. What I mean by that is stress sin and the cross to her. Downplay repentance and lordship. <gasps> Did I say that? And that's all I had to say to her. She knew exactly what I meant. And she went to her house that afternoon and she called me at work later that afternoon. She said, you never believe what happened. She went to the gospel, finished the cross, the finished work of Christ, and she paused. And she said, in a short while, this young woman just kind of got this distant look and she stood up. And she said, all these years, I never knew that Jesus had paid it all. And she got saved. Isn't that wonderful? By the way, she repented and made Jesus her Lord, too. You know, you, it's amazing. You don't have to uh, focus on telling people how to be saved, you know. You know what I mean by that, you know. Lead them through prayer and all that kind of stuff. Look, God's at work, okay? He's the one that does it. My favorite times when people get saved when I'm not there. You know, just them and God. Well... So in this first section, we've been talking about being like-minded in various things. And as I said, uh, it's a command all over Paul's epistles. Be like-minded. Be of the same mind. It's a command. And you do that by being broken and humble together in the crucible. Some people like to knit. I don't know. Maybe we have some people here who have that hobby. People tend to think that it's a, a woman's pastime. But uh, if any of you guys remember Rosie Greer, the great linebacker for the uh, then L.A. Rams, he was a knitter. This big 260-pound guy, 
He was the terror of quarterbacks, you know, when he came rushing through that line. Sweet guy, professing Christian, and he loved to knit. God, God loves to knit too. Do you know that? You know that words of the New Testament? Knit? So, and the, the, the word that's translated, it's a very unusual Greek word. You don't even see it outside the Bible hardly at all. But whenever it's used, it talks about God knitting together our hearts as believers. In Ephesians, the phrase is knit, knitting our hearts together in love. Isn't that great? So I'm explaining how do you obey that a command? Well, be broken and humble and God will do the knitting. Okay. If you're not broken and humble, eh, he's not going to be able to knit because you can't knit with tangled yarn. Okay. I'm not saying we don't have uh, tangles in our yard. Everybody does. So right, God works those out with the tough situations. Okay, well, uh, in little time we have left here, let's look at the benefits of co-laboring. And uh, to highlight that, there's a wonderful little section in Ecclesiastes that really summarizes a lot of the benefits of laboring with another brother or sister. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it here. It says, two are better than one. Oh, there's the title of our sermon. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's a lot in there, a lot of advantages that apply to co-laboring for Christ. First one, that, that they have a good reward idea implies greater effectiveness, you see, than if they were one at a time. And we could have seminars on, on all of these. I'll just list them off. In the longer term, uh, everybody has blind spots. I have blind spots. You have blind spots. And when you're co-laboring with someone, they can see those blind spots. They can help. They can keep you from getting on a hobby horse. You know what I mean by that? You know, getting caught up with a particular doctrine or something or a wrong emphasis. A second person can see things you can't. In the short term, this gets very practical in, in trying to help someone as a, as a pair. You, you might kind of get lost in the conversation. The other person can pick it up. Uh, you get stymied, you know, you don't know what to say. The other person can fill in. There can be a miscommunication going on and you don't know it and the other person will pick up on it fix and fix it. Uh, wonderful application, neutralizing distractions. You know, sometimes you're trying to help someone and uh, there's a person who's really distracting from the work of God and the other person can, uh, you know, Show me your gun collection, you know, or your sewing collection or whatever. You know, take them aside. Or media, you know, turn off the TV or answer the phone for them. I've seen these things all happen. Been there. Real-time prayer. Real-time. We use that out at the lab all the time. It means a process that's going on right when things are really interesting. Not after all the interesting stuff has happened. You come in afterwards and try to figure it out. Real-time. 
It's great to uh, pray. It's even greater to pray while things are going on, isn't it? Have someone there who hears what's taking place and they can see they're just not getting something. And you can write there, Lord, open their heart, you know. Give Carlene, give Rick a verse, you know, to help out here. You got two people. Um, it's really good if they're complimentary, like uh, Howard and I are. I'm the tough guy. He's the nice guy. You have a broader effect. You have a sounding board, someone you can talk to, you know, bounce ideas off. I'll promise you that year and a half, Paul was with them. Yeah, he that was iron sharpening iron for a year and a half. By the way, you know, Paul wasn't sinless. And and I'm confident that he he gained a lot from this interaction with this godly couple. Discuss, pray, strategize, all kind of things with another person that this, you can't do with one. Now, let, let me say, and I obviously this is true. If you have one, if you're just one person, you're not co-laboring. You have the Lord, obviously. Okay. But there is a special place in the work of God for a pair, for two. How did Jesus send the disciples out? Two at a time. There's a reason for that. Uh, second phrase here in um, Ecclesiastes was keeping warm. We'll equate that with fellowship. You know, keeping warm. Fellowship, that wonderful Christian word, koinonia. It implies more than one person. Okay? <laughs> I can try to have fellowship with myself, but it's kind of hard. You need another person. Share fellowship, the sharing of things in common. You know what? If you're a Christian today, we have so much in common already. I don't care what your occupation is, what your background is, your nationality, your age. I don't care. Listen to this. We have the same background. We're sinners. We have the same former destiny, hell. Same means of salvation, the cross. We have the same new destiny, heaven. And we love the same one who loved us unto death and is coming back to bring both of us to himself. We have that in common. That's a lot. In fact, that, those are the things that matter. Even when unspoken, this bond is, is active. And when you got a, got a couple of people serving Christ, uh, even in a tough situation, that, that, that bond is there strengthening and encouraging. And you know it, you can sense it. In fact, it's particularly strong when uh, working together, when co-laboring. Jesus is the reason, the example, the source of wisdom and strength. And in fact, all necessary things for service to begin with. He's that bond. In fact, he's the unseen co-laborer. He's the third member when we co-labor together. In fact, he does the real work. There, I can tell you this. There is no greater joy, no greater satisfaction than working with another believer and seeing Jesus do something with you and through you. It, it staggers you. It's great. It's, it, it's awesome. And secondly, um, on the area of fellowship, other common interests can deepen our fellowship. And there are some with whom uh, I not only labor closely and feel a kinship, but they're, they're my closest friends. Friendship. 
It doesn't necessarily mean that you're always talking about Jesus. Obviously, there's a lot of that. In the case of Paul, it was tent making. Okay, he says that's why he stayed with them. They had that in common. That's not bad. There were times as they sat there working together, probably in Aquila's shop, you know, that they talked about the fabric, you know, and the needles and the business. Okay, you know, and, and they had that in common. And it's just made so much richer because you're both believers. One of my uh, earliest disciples who later became a very dear friend and still is and co-laborer uh, taught me how to go diving. Diving, you know. I don't mean scuba, but, you know, snorkeling. We go down to Monterey and put on wetsuits and, and uh, weight belts and so on. And I helped him with his guitar. And we'd spend hours and hours playing and, and uh, singing together. With Carlene, I know this may come as a shock, but... Uh, we used to go out all the time. We love the outdoors. We used to go out all the time with 40-pound packs on, on our backs and the, back in the high country. And we had evangelistic backpacking. Many times we took unsafe couples with us. And it's great, man. When you're out in God's creation, you know, letting it speak for itself, and you're talking along the, the, the trail for uh, a week at a time, <clears throat> We both love to sing. Many a time we've had uh, singing sessions. Well, not too long ago we did it. Uh, it was actually with the, uh, the Peaslands. We love board games. We love food. She loves to cook. I love to eat. <laughs> which, which brings up another uh, uh, wonderful thing about co-laboring, particularly as a husband and wife, and that's hospitality. And I and there are some dear brothers, single brothers and single sisters here that are great at hospitality. I'm not poo-pooing that. But certainly as a husband and wife, man, you know, opening up your home to believers and unbelievers alike, is, it's a special thing. Paul and, uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila did it for 18 months with Paul. Man, that's hospitality. Well, the third thing uh, in that list that we read there from Ecclesiastes, uh, I picked up on the phrase being overpowered to can't be overpowered, whereas one can be. And that's boldness versus fear. That's a big element. It's, it's significant to me. Are you still in Acts 18 like I told you to be? Good for you. I'm not. Uh, there's, a, there's an interesting section here. I, I skipped over it. But look at verse 9 here in chapter 8. While he's at Corinth... Uh, the Lord appears to him in a night vision and listen what Jesus says to him. Verse nine. Now, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Now, why did he do that? You know why? Because Paul was afraid. That's why I told him not to be. And that's why he said, don't worry, nobody's going to attack you and hurt you. Why did he say that? Because it had just happened. Remember Philippi? Don't you go through talking about it. That was no small thing. That'll have a lingering effect on you to be beaten and imprisoned. Okay? And obviously it stuck with Paul. It's interesting that later when he writes his letter to the Corinthians, he says this, 
When I was with you, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And he's not talking about as a public speaker. He's talking about that. And it's wonderful. God gave him Priscilla and Aquila in their home. You know, to go to and be encouraged and emboldened and prayed with, you know, and reminded about the goodness of the Lord. As I said earlier, Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. That's not an accident. By the way, we're talking about more than one here this morning. Just let me, as an aside, remind you that God in his wisdom has designed the church with a plurality of elders. And I'm not, there, there are good churches where you have a single pastor, but God's way is for all these reasons we've been talking about and will continue to talk about, you need, you need more than one. But God is, God is not limited. He'll use what he's got. Think of Peter and John in the book of Acts when they were beaten. Remember that? But it was two of them, you see. And boy, old, good old bold Peter stood up and said, you guys judge, which better? Should we obey God or obey men? <laughs> wow. And uh, there's a wonderful phrase there when they were released. It says they returned to their own. It says own companions. The companions is italicized. Not in the original. I love that phrase. They returned to their own. It means they came back here. You're, you're my own. Okay? You're my brothers and sisters. Christians have a homing instinct. Isn't that cool? And it's a lot of it's due to what we're talking about this morning. And all the one another's of the New Testament, encouraging one another, praying for one another, bearing one another's bur- burdens, uh, forgiving one another, provoking one another to love and good works and so on. I remember my first door-to-door outreach as a baby Christian. What was ever freaked out? Can you relate to that? Oh, man. And uh, I'll never forget going. We prayed beforehand and, and just sitting there and, and seeing all these believers there with one common purpose to get the word of Christ out, you know, and totally cast on him. And then uh, we went out by twos and the other brother who took the lead. Man, that was that was helpful, you know. Provoking one another, loving good work, strengthening one another. Okay, well, our, our time is pretty much up, but I just had a, a couple of other observations about Priscilla and Aquila. First of all, and that is they were happy to be nobodies. And yet they had a great impact. Let me, wait, let me rephrase that. They were content to be nobodies. Therefore, they had a great impact. They weren't self-seeking. And yet, look, look what they did. Apollos was no slouch. And he, they're the ones that set him right. You know, who knows the countless benefit of Paul living with them for a year and a half fairly early in his ministry. As Paul himself said, the churches of of the Gentiles give thanks for you guys. Secondly, uh, they were faithful over time. That's why we gave the dates starting in 51, going through 67 A.D. That's 17 years of uh, faithfulness to Paul and to the Lord. If you read there in uh, chapter 4 of uh, Timothy, you see all these guys, Demas has forsaken me, and uh, Alexander has opposed us, and so on. 
Uh, uh, no one stood by me. It, it's, it's a litany of the disciples that have just kind of disappeared. But then in, in the midst of that, it says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Faithful to the end. It's easy to find Christian enthusiasm for a day or a week, even months, sometimes years, decades. That's what God's looking for. A life, a lifetime of faithful service. And there is nothing, nothing can compare with serving Christ with another brother or sister. You, you can't compare it to anything. Sweet fellowship, the encouragement, the wisdom that comes from two heads and hearts that are sold out for Christ, strengthening you when you're weary, and producing boldness where there was fear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word and for your example in your dealings with the disciples in sending them out two by two. And we see here before us the lives of uh, a godly husband and wife as a team for you. And Lord, we know that's not just limited to married people, but uh, a brother and a brother or a sister and a sister. Lord, I, I pray for every Christian here this morning if they've never uh, had this experience of an ongoing relationship in serving you, pulling in yoke together with another brother or a sister or a husband and a wife that you might grant that, that they might begin to pray that you would raise up someone for them. And if they don't know what to do, it might begin simply by becoming prayer warriors or uh, evangelizing. But that they might uh, experience the wonderful joy and satisfaction which comes with serving you together. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we love uh, serving you. And thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for this precious portion of your word this morning. We thank you in your name. Amen.